my sermon. We're all going to die. How about that? How about that for an opening line? I really worked on that one. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So what happens after we die? And where do we go? I think those are really important questions that people ask. And the Bible supplies the answer to those questions and more. I'm right now in the middle of a series called uh, Developing a Christian Worldview. So we're looking at some key doctrines of the faith that help us put together a Christian worldview. Today, I want to talk about hell. Or I really don't want to talk about it, but I feel compelled that I really should. And then next week, we're going to talk about heaven. I'm going to discuss the topic this morning in a question and answer format. So just like somebody was asking me questions and I'm trying to supply answers. But let me start off with a quote from Dante from his book, The Inferno. I am the way into the city of woe. I am the way to a forsaken people. I am the way into eternal sorrow. Abandon all hope. You who enter here. That message was on the gates of hell in Dante's Inferno. My first question this morning is, is hell a real place? Now, many modern people scoff and laugh at such an outdated notion. And I'm finding that more and more Christians either don't believe it or don't want to hear about it. Hell is just a cuss word. Hell is here on earth, you hear people say. But the Bible would say, yes, hell is a real place. In fact, the Bible speaks often about it. Throughout the Bible writings, Old Testament and New Testament, plus centuries of Christian witness from Christian authors and even Jewish authors mention it. But can you guess which Bible person says the most about hell? Would you guess Jesus? He often warned about it. One example, Matthew 18, 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. You and I should do everything in our power to avoid that place. And who would know more about it than Jesus who speaks about it, that there really, truly is a hell? I think it would be wise to believe him. Now, something not on the level of biblical truth that I find interesting are people that speak of near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences. I've read a lot of those accounts over the years, and most of those accounts are positive. They, they talk about a tunnel of light, and they feel great joy and peace and see vivid colors and perhaps loved ones who died before them are there to greet them. And there's usually a being of light. These positive experiences. But I've read some that were very negative, very frightening. So if these accounts are true, and I'm not vouching for them, I'm just telling you. If they're true, they just simply conform and confirm what the Bible says. Here's another question. Why is there a hell? Well, God created it. To punish Satan and fallen angels. Again, Jesus tells us this in Matthew 25, 41. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared 
for the devil and his angels. Satan doesn't reside in hell now. He, he moves around the earth. The Bible tells us in Job 1.7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. But at the end of the age, the Bible says he'll be cast into hell for all eternity. Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan certainly won't be reigning in hell. He'll be punished there. Here's a third question. What happens to people in hell? So after I was a young Christian, there was a guy that I graduated high school with, and we worked together at the same place. And so I was witnessing to him, and I think I said something like, aren't you afraid of going to hell? And he, and he laughed and said, I'm looking forward to going there, where I will drink beer, play cards, and kick Satan off his throne. And I told him, in a blast furnace? Hell is so much worse than our minds can imagine. The Bible gives varied description of hell. Here's a couple things. That you can jot down if you care to. A place of darkness. Matthew 8, 12. When, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. A sense of being alone. And, and very scary and gloomy. It's also described in the Bible as a place of fire. Revelation 20:14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, where there's pain and torment and suffering that never ends. Thirdly, a place of anguish. We saw the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13:42. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, says Jesus. And the idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth is the idea is remorse and regret and sorrow for understanding then that I rejected Christ's free offer of salvation. A fourth description is a place of condemnation. Mark 9:48, where where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The worm doesn't die is a phrase that references no relief from a bad conscience. Fifth description, a place of destruction, not annihilation where you cease to exist, but finality. Philippians 319, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Sixth description is a place of punishment. Second Thessalonians one, eight and nine. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So the sense of the people there will get what they deserved. If there was no hell, there would be no accountability. And seventh, a place of separation from God. 
and save the loved ones for all eternity. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Imagine this. Nothing good ever coming your way again forever. No nice words, no kind deeds. Never smell bacon frying in the pan or a flower or never hear a child's laugh again. Never touch soft skin or hair. Never see another sunset or loved one forever and ever. Dante was right. Abandon all hope. You who enter here. A fourth question. If my loved one is in hell, how could I enjoy heaven? I think that's a real good question. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. I believe there will come a time where we'll have no memory or awareness of anyone there. And if we did, our tears will be wiped away and there'll be no more mourning. Here's a fifth question. Where do unsaved people go when they die? And I want to share the idea of progressive revelation. God has revealed more things about hell so we understand it better as time went on. So this doctrine is one we see through the lens of progressive revelation. We're going to start off looking at an Old Testament word and then several New Testament words. The first word I want to discuss is Sheol, which is a Hebrew word that's used 64 times in the Old Testament. 31 times it's translated grave, 30 times hell, and three times pit. And so the context determines which word how you translate it. Genesis 37:35 says all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus, his father wept for him. Jacob says, I'm going to go to my grave mourning for my lost son, Joseph. But this idea progressed to be more than just the grave, but to be the realm of the dead. Job 10, 20 to 22 are not my days few, then cease and leave me alone that I may find a little cheer before I go. And I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order where light is as thick as darkness. Job describes this place as a land of gloom, of boredom and blackness and darkness where you will never return from. But notice a place of consciousness where other people are. Isaiah 14, 9 to 11. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades, the other people there, to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their throne. All who were kings of the nations, all of them will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. 
The sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. From these verses and other Old Testament passages, we, we learn several things. That disembodied spirits talk and reason with each other. There seem to be no bodily functions like eating, drinking, and marrying, but existence and consciousness continue. Now, the earliest texts about hell give no hint toward moral distinction. Everyone who dies goes to Sheol, good or bad, just or unjust. But later on, the thinking became more, there were distinct sections. A good section for righteous people and a bad place for the ungodly. Even the idea of punishment for evil was beginning to develop. Well, let's move to the Greek words now that we see in the, the New Testament. But also, the, the next word is Hades. So the, the Greek writers who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek came to this word Sheol, and they translated it Hades. It's used to indicate the invisible spirit world at the center of the earth that the dead go to. That's Hades. And there are clear compartments by New Testament times. In fact, I think the most striking and stunning passage of all, Jesus says from his own lips in Luke 16. I, I want to read this extended passage. And it, he teaches them some amazing things there. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, "Then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him, them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what do we see from this amazing passage of Jesus? Consciousness, communication, emotion, the ability to feel pain, and no escaping forever. In the epistles, we have even more revelation. Before Christ's resurrection, all the dead went to Hades. The good compartment 
Abraham's side or paradise and the bad place, Hades, for the evil. After Christ's resurrection, believers' spirits go to heaven upon death while their bodies are buried in the ground. Unbelievers' spirits at death go to Hades and both await the resurrection of their bodies. Let me read a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Paul says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul is saying, I'd if, I, if I die, I'd rather that because I would be immediately with the Lord. Philippians 1.23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. In fact, Jesus' resurrection is crucial for us to understand what happens after death. Jesus himself died and his body was placed in a tomb. But his spirit visited Hades. And he picked up the keys. At best, we can tell he did two things there. One, he proclaimed to the spirits there the completed work of the atonement. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaim to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So these sinners and others, beings, realize that they receive justice. Second thing Jesus did, I believe, after his death, he took the righteous dead with him from Abraham's side to heaven. Interesting passage in Matthew 27. Behold. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And Paul in Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. So I believe that Abraham's side where the righteous went before Christ's resurrection is now empty. The thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But Paul went up to heaven in his out of body experience in Second Corinthians 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether 
in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Let me do another word, New Testament word, Gehenna. Gehenna, let me read James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. It's the word Gehenna there. James, in this place, is the only one that says this word outside of Jesus. All the other references to this word are said by Jesus. Gehenna was a real place historically. It was the Valley of Hinnom, just outside Jerusalem, where child sacrifices were practiced. Where Jewish men and women offered their children to the pagan gods like Moloch and Baal. Moloch was made to represent a statue, a big, huge bronze statue that was hollowed out. And wood was burning inside of this statue. And the statue had long arms outstretched where people would come up and put their babies on the hot, outstretched arms. And then when the pagan priest would press a lever and the arms would go up and there would be an opening of the statue and the child would fall down inside to be burned. And all this was done to make sure they had good crops. 2 Kings 23.10 says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one may burn his son or daughter as an offering to Moloch. In 2 Chronicles, And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. In Jesus' day, this place where child sacrifice was done became the city dump. So there was always rotting carcasses of animals with worms crawling out of them and fires burned continually and smoke rose continually from this place. It would have been such a vivid image for Jesus' audience. And Jesus said, hell, you want to know hell, what hell is like? It's like Gehenna, the city dump. The last word I want to touch on is Tartarus. It's only used once in the New Testament at 2 Peter 2.4. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, which is Tartarus, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. It appears that this place was the place where the most wicked angels, perhaps the beings of Genesis 6.4, were kept. In Greek mythology, it was the lowest place in the underworld where the Titans were cast after they lost the battle with Zeus and were condemned to Tartarus. There's nothing in the Bible about purgatory. Purgatory, uh, the idea of many hell, where, where your sins are burned up so you can be fit for heaven. There's no purgatory because that diminishes the finished work of the cross of Christ. It also diminishes the continuing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's nothing about limbo in the Bible either, where you're just kind of caught in limbo until someone decides what happens to you. 
nothing about soul sleep in the Bible in which you have no consciousness until the resurrection. So let me summarize this section. If you're a Christian, when you die, your spirit goes directly to heaven to be with the Lord while your body goes into the ground. At the resurrection of the just, your body will be raised and reunited with your spirit. The unbeliever dies. His or her spirit goes to hell to await judgment. I think of hell as the county jail. Whereas someday this unbeliever will appear the great white throne judgment before God. And then cast into the lake of fire, which I think of as the state penitentiary. Revelation 20:15. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Sixth question. How can a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't want to. It wasn't created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. But for people who want nothing to do with God, do not want to be where God is. He gives them their desire. In a sense, they choose to go there. They want to live apart from God, so they will. God rescues people from hell. You can only go to hell over Christ's dead body. We human beings don't realize the horribleness of sin. We diminish it, downplay it. It's no big deal. Just a few mistakes. Five minutes of mistakes for an eternity in hell. That's not fair. But human beings don't realize the holiness of God and just how much he's offended by our sin. And the truth be told, if we live for billions of years, we would sin for billions of years, not five minutes. Either we say, thy will be done, God, or God says to us, okay, thy will be done. Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. My last question is, how can I avoid hell? And man, that's a great question. That's the most important question of all. And the answer is simple by believing on Jesus. Stop rejecting him and living a life for yourself. Don't let Satan deceive you. Into thinking, there's no hell, really. There can't be. There's no judgment. Don't take that chance. And by the way, what's your authority source for believing that? If not the Bible. Is it your teachers? Is it some author that you don't know? Is it just your own thinking? I think there'll be surprises in heaven and hell. I think that from what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There may be some surprises in heaven, folks, that you'd be certain wouldn't be there that are and vice versa. Don't be deceived. There really is a hell. 
It's a real place. And it must be avoided at all costs. And you do that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus, save me from my sins. I don't want to go to that place. I want to know you and be saved and go to heaven when I die. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I just want to give, if there's someone here at the sound of my voice that has never put their faith and trust in you alone for salvation, that this would be their moment, their opportunity to do so. If you just want to slip up your hand quickly and quietly and put it down. If there's anyone here that you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Lord, uh, your word is truth. We, we believe it, uh, whether it's comfortable, fashionable, because it is the truth. Thank you for warning us about this place. And Lord, I pray that you would compel each and every one of us to have an urgency and a burden for the lost, for family and friends and classmates, neighbors, whomever, Lord, that you put a, that burden of them on our hearts to pray for them and to share our faith, what you've done for us, so that those persons would believe on Jesus and not be lost. I said in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand.